From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and talk about what was good and what was great. I'm sorry, and this is Mark. Hiya, tonight it is episode 75, so we are talking about a classic science fiction film. (laughs) Classic of M. And this film is, of course, Soylent Green, which came out in 1973. An absolute classic, been referenced to so many times, good and bad. And we're going to delve into the good stuff, sorry. So in tonight's episode, we're going to talk about what we obviously thought of the film, which is going to be all good, uh, the ins and outs of the narrative, and a bit about film language, plus a nice deep dive into a specific piece of science. And I'm hoping that science has something to do with food, because we've never talked about that so far, and I really feel that this film should be about film. I'm hungry. Food, sorry, food. I'm hungry for food. (laughs) I'm hungry for food, food. Definitely want food. Soylent Green was directed by Richard Fleischer, I think. Flesher. Fleischer. Fleischer. Uh, really big time Hollywood director. Look him up. Made a whole bunch of great films. This screenplay written by Stanley R. Greenberg. That's a real writer's name. Based on the novel by Harry Harrison. That's the superhero's <laughs> name, isn't it? I think so. Yes. Harry Harrison. So turn back now if you have not seen this movie, because we're going to tell you what Soylent Green is. We people. are. We are. Warning. Did you get that? <laughs> Still, no, okay. Anyway, warning, warning. Turn back now. Tune back in. You'll find out what Soil and Green is. What is Soil and Green? The classic trailer. Go check it out. Wachowski's kind of modeled their Matrix trailer off the old trailer that this film had. Um, I must admit, seeing this for the first time a few years ago, I didn't see it back in 1973 because I wasn't even born. I was... Really surprised how good this film is. And yeah, really want to talk it up tonight with Surrey. It's basically an American dystopian science fiction thriller film. Definitely crosses the genres. And so I want to set that up. We have a detective, detective Thorn. Thorn. <laughs> Says everything. He needs to investigate the murder of a wealthy businessman in this dystopian future. Uh, this future as well, and I want to get into it a bit later, is one where humanity has just kind of screwed the pooch, probably where we're heading. And there's overpopulation, there's humidity all the time, there's no food, um, there's a real struggle just to breathe out in society. Uh, and I loved all those details. And whilst- And it's set in the year 20. 2022, which is perfect for us. And in this depleted future, this detective searches for the murderer. He actually reveals a society-wide conspiracy. What was your number one takeaway from Soylent Green? Sorry. My my number one takeaway from Soylent Green is that why don't police officers 
take more things from crime scenes. <laughs> yeah. I know. I love. It's so great how he does um, that in that scene. Hey. Well, maybe they do. Yeah, if maybe you're, they do. If you're a police detective and you commonly steal things from crime scenes, mm. keep it to yourself because you'll get in a lot of trouble. It's a really good little, um, in this world, makes a lot of sense that he does that. And I like that. It's such an attention. It's like, oh, it's okay. While we're deli- you know, actually, Blake Schneider says the Pope in the pool. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, so a detective story has a lot of Pope in the pool scenes, which means there's a lot of exposition. You've got to distract the audience. So it's kind of almost like it's a distraction to the audience of like, what's he going to steal next? <laughs> and he does. He just keeps stealing shit, which is great. I mean, sometimes in these detective films, they will distract you with a tense confrontational interrogation scene. Sequence, you know, where there's yeah. sweat and there's the bright light and the, all the rest of it. But that wouldn't have been appropriate in this setting. Mm. But having this dude, he's just so casually <laughs> was just helping himself to everything. He's just yep. like open up things, checking stuff out, yeah. takes the Nibbling, biting. He just grabs the, the pillowcase yeah. and starts, he puts the towel in, the yeah. soap, a <laughs> bottle of this. And it was just fantastic that he was just so casual about mm. it. Uh, Surprised he didn't take the furniture. <laughs> well, he almost has, did. <laughs> he kind of did he, he kinda, take the furniture, he, I suppose you might say. But He anyway, took it on the side. He took it out in the, in the kitchen. He took it each way. Yeah, that's it's kind of uh, another sort of interesting view in this. But uh, I, I did love the, the casual um, immunity that the police seem to have. Yeah. Like no one wanted to fight him. No. And when the guy did try to punch back at him, he says, That's, you'll get life. For that, mm, like, yeah. for sw- taking a swing at a cop, you'll you'll get life in prison. So, uh, you know, it's then only makes sense that you're going to just use that power, aren't you? Well, yeah, and it's the desperate. I mean, even though there's that power for the cops, they, from what we see, are not treated well. You know what I mean? And oh, it, no, it's just cops- another real job. Um, even at the police station, you notice like the captain, his chair's got holes in it and fabric sticking out and mm. he's got piles and piles of paperwork and not dressed that well. Like like even though they're cops, they're it's a desperate kind of job. So sure, there's maybe the one perk is that you get to steal stuff at crime scenes. Turn up true. I mean, well that guy was so rich. Yeah. And he was dead. Yeah, he's dead. So I yeah. really don't see that anyone cares. No. Really. <laughs> uh, then moving on to, is this hope warning or an experiment? To me, total warning. So I, even though this is in 1973, I think we can see a lot of parallels to today in that, uh, you know, like global warming and the sort of effects of that on our society and that we could head down a path where something like soil and green is how our society ends up being. You know, if you, there's overpopulation, not enough food, not enough, you know, the, the air quality is poor, the, um, you know, the humidity, the heat, they're saying, oh, the heat, it's like the ongoing heat and it's what we're facing. We just had the hottest West Australian summer ever. 33 so far. Point, the yeah. hottest West Australian summer ever so, so far. far. So far, you're right. Yeah, so 33.3 degrees was the average. Uh, we also had more days above 35 than... They've ever had on records. And I remember those records are only a couple hundred years old. So there could have been hotter times in the past. But it seems that when you look at temperature, it is slowly going up and up and up. The and averages. we had the wettest July as well. Yeah, we did. So we're having that extremity of weather like many places throughout the world. Um, so I, I sort of see some parallels to that. So I think the fact, uh, you know, this soil and green idea, it's not that far removed from where we could head. And even over population, you look at uh, the 
refugee situation because of something like Russia trying to invade Ukraine and then also like, okay, we don't, the Germans don't want to fight because they get 55% of their energy from Russia. So if you Russia, if they turned off that gas pipe, Germany would be in a lot of problems. Germany is the economic powerhouse of Europe. So if Germany collapses in terms of the economy, it's going to affect the whole of Europe. So therefore, you're sort of like, oh, okay, well, we'll take the refugees in. Suddenly you're taking in 2 million displaced Ukrainians into one country at the one time, you know. So overpopulation is a real thing, you know. I mean, in Australia, we can probably handle a huge population increase in one go, but, you know, like it's you see in this example of New York City in 2022, oh, 40 geez. million people, 40 no. Million. <laughs> they're sleeping on the steps, sorry. They're, oh. they're, they're, that's what they're, you know, they're... Dying on the streets out the front of a church with their child with a piece of rope tied to them, so the child kind of lives on or whatever. So it's a anyway, it's a warning, it's a warning to me. <laughs> it's, it's a, a big warning, warning that humans humans have always been a bit rotten, uh, yeah. but the and the earth can be beautiful. Yes, yes. I, I think the other thing is we're heading. You know, there's a there's an interesting science behind heading towards eating, you know, more plant-based materials yeah. instead of, you know, meat like cows that take up too much space and stuff. So that's one option. But also the other option recently is, and it's a growing market for uh, Asia, is eating protein from bugs or whatever. And it's actually, there's a company here in Mandra that's doing that. They're growing that and selling that as protein food to Asian markets, right? And so it's just a way of like condensing. When the population gets too big, it's like, how do you feed protein? And so that's what Soylent Green kind of suggests as well. It's like, what's another protein source? What, what is Soylent Green? Sorry. <laughs> so what was your... I know you had not watched Soylent Green before. What was your first impression? Well, my first impression was that it, it came across very nostalgic again. It's interesting that we did this film seventy three after you know, Battle Beyond the Stars, which is nineteen eighty. Mm, yep, just eighty, I think it was. And in that episode, go back and listen to it. I talk about a particular style of filmmaking, and the Battle Beyond the Stars is kind of the extension, though, of what this was. It, science fiction films were like Soylent Green mm, yeah, uh, yeah. back through the sixties, seventies, and even coming to the eighties. Star Wars. And we're going to do that as a classic one day. Yeah. It it totally rewrote the book on how to use a camera, how you present mm. the universe and, you know, how you film these things. It, it it took what had previously been done and then just kind of amped it up. Yeah. The uh, Soil and Green, it, it felt real in the sense that it still had that... that um, very down to earth, mm. gritty feeling of a street cop drama. Yeah, like it was sure it had a seventies aesthetic, mm. but you could easily have just put that same thing just like in um, a modern sitting. Yeah, you know, with different yeah, yeah. clothing and hairstyles. Yeah, uh, the filming was very kind of what you see is what you get. Yeah, the feeling. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, and I think it was. And I'm going to blame Matrix for this, <laughs> which is, again, we've done Matrix as a classic. And one of the reasons Matrix is a classic is because it also, it was another revolution, evolution yeah. of filmmaking style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Star Wars is one. Matrix is another. There's, there's, you know, 2001. There's a few of these around, which just basically said, threw the rule book out, created a whole sort of new way of you know, v- viewing the future, viewing yeah. the world and the universe. And that's the thing. This 
film is the the re- reason why this is a classic is not so much the filmmaking; it's the storytelling. The storytelling. You know, so it, it presents a realistic. Yeah, like, I could feel that he was walking through New York. Yeah, yeah. Like he didn't like they didn't have funny little hover cars. No. Like, all the cars are busted. Yeah. And you know there were people around. And it was grimy, but it wasn't you know um, over the top like like no. stylistically grimy. No. Like you look at like the movie Dark City. Yeah. Which is like it's dark. Yeah. And it's grim. It's mm. noir. You know it wasn't. This no. just looked like this could have been a Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, and it could have been New York nineteen seventy three, right? Yes. When they made the film, so it looks like that, and. That adds to that dystopian feel. It's just a worn it, down world. Yeah, it really sold that dystopia because it w- looked so realistic. It wasn't stylized. It wasn't cartooned. Yes, that's right. Uh, that when he's he's come down his stairs and he and there's a guy sitting at the top of the stairs with a, an assault rifle, mm-hmm. just sitting there, guard. Yeah, yeah. And he goes down. He has to you know hold onto the ban- the banister. Yeah, and kind of. You know, hop, hop scoot <laughs> one foot down here, there, and the little baby cries, and people and, sort of move and stuff. So, because yeah. they're all just huddled, because they're they're um, there's a curfew, not allowed on the yeah. street. Yeah. So once he gets out on the street, it's just empty. Yeah. He's walking in the evening, and it's just empty streets with just broken cars. People are have have got little chimneys come out of some of the cars, if you noticed. Yeah, yeah. They're living in there. They're living in there. And because it had that real feel, mm. it yeah. yeah, it really sold it to me, and I and I thought, oh, this is. This is a really good view of like, um, you know, an overpopulation, but dying yeah. you know, life. You know, this is this is an earth that is not coping. No. And that's a good way of probably describing dystopia in this way, isn't it? It's like slowly dying. They're just all slowly dying. <laughs> so, you've seen this one before. Yeah. How does your second viewing compare? Because sometimes with yeah. that second view, you pick up extra things you pay more attention so i mean it is a film that is all about the twist the thriller side of things um but i found that it held up like the second time i was interested still in the plot i think it's a really fast moving plot uh it's also quite intriguing like we said those moments of him uh you know stealing stuff from the crime scene the relationship he builds with the furniture um Cheryl Cheryl um and and even the fact the sort of the plot that's going on behind him which is very normal for like a detective plot so there's kind of a you know there's moving things going behind his protagonist path so Mm. to try to then he's creating ripples for the powers that be and they're reacting to that and then causing coming back at him with other ripples you know there was really some fascinating things i thought with power dynamics you know like with Cheryl being piece of furniture and also then even the bodyguard um is a girlfriend you know and the fact of like offering themselves as as, as meat i suppose in a way as a like piece a little, of furniture yeah as a piece of furniture like and but even in her case she's she sort of wasn't a piece of furniture. She was sort of like a girlfriend of the bodyguard, but then she even said to Charlton Heston, oh, I would have offered you something. And he, and he goes, oh, well, I would have if I had more time. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a there was an interesting pattern, as you said, like when he fights the bodyguard, the as they're fighting, it's like, well, if you hit me, you're, you're, it's life. You know, you're, it's, your life is done because that's the law, you know. So... There was a lot of really interesting dynamics I think I picked up a little bit more. I think I also understood um, the character of Soul and him being the, the what they call him, the book. Book. 
That's what they call them. They're one of the books. Yeah. <laughs> the books, yeah, yeah. And then how he goes to the exchange, and it's kind of like just like a library, and it's it's like, oh, this is yeah, like we would devalue information in this type of society, wouldn't we? You know, people would because you're just more in survival mode. So um, it also reminded me a little bit, like I many years ago, I went to Sierra Leone after. Sierra Leone had the war. I was there for a documentary. And this is not to kind of take any offense, but a post-war society was very hobbled together and people just doing what they need to survive. And Mm. so, you know, like, for example, we, you know, white people in their country doing something like filming, we were then taken advantage of, you know, and tried to be scammed. And it wasn't anything violent it was just money it was just pure survival of money well, they wanted our money you know you've got and it they don't have it so you don't and, and i mean to the extent of police like paying police officers we paid police officers and it felt watching this i think this time that you you know you mentioned thorn and him stealing stuff it's kind of like well yeah in a society like post-war a cop would probably walk into a crime scene doesn't make him a bad cop, but because of the society then he's gonna oh yeah well this vase might be worth a lot of money i'll take it home to my wife we'll try to sell it yeah yeah, you know, yes. who are you? Oh, you're the media. Well, yeah, you can take photos, but you've got to pay us. Yeah. It's like that might not necessarily be legal or ethical, but they're just trying to survive. And so I sort of noticed some tangible um, truths there from my own experience of going to somewhere like that where everyone was just in survival mode and, you know, looking, how do I survive? How do I keep my family alive? How do I do it? As you said, chimneys in the cars, you know, uh, living on a staircase because that's all you've got, going to the local church because there's nowhere else to shelter, you know, like that's what happens in those survival times. And mm. to me, I picked up probably a few more of those bits of the details in the second viewing. And But I think it still stands up, even though it's a type of film that the – twist <laughs> what is soil and green comes right at the end of the film watching it a second time it didn't ruin it like i was picking up a lot more bits of the puzzle and more details i think than the first time so i thoroughly enjoyed watching the second time i'd, I'd watch it again i reckon that and that to me makes it a classic yeah. like i can feel like i could watch i could even watch this film again now and i'd still enjoy it i'd still pick up bits of it the only thing i'd known about this was the soil and green is you people. knew the secret <laughs> Yes, and and it's literally the last three words said in the the whole movie. And I was just, you're kind of wondering how it's going to fit in. But more like, what is the importance of that secret? That's what, you know, held me in there. I was like, Mm. you know, and on a brief blush, you sort of think, it's kind of a bit of an overreaction that they, you know, basically accept their death. You know, Sol and uh, Simonson, both like, well, yeah, this I can't hold this secret. This is yeah. too terrible. And and I, the priest as well. Right? Yeah, and like I'm sort of thinking, crumbling. um, you know, it's okay. Yeah, it's kind of a bit gross. But when you look at the the deeper aspect or, or the message or the illusion that it's it's yeah. providing as a you know it's holding up that mirror to our current society mm. where people in soil and green are literally consuming themselves. Like this, yeah. it's a society literally consuming itself. Yeah just to survive so that it can produce more bodies to consume like like yeah. it's it's uh, it's that view of our society our civilization our way of life as a sausage factory yeah where, where we just put meat in and and squish it out the other end yeah yeah um you know why do we we go to work so that we can pay for our children to get a good education so they can get a good job 
and to be pay. able to pay for their kids' education to get a good, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you start getting to that point where you're going, well, hold on, is there is there nothing beautiful in the world? Is there yeah. nothing worthwhile? It is other than that sort of um, relentless pursuit of profit and growth. Mm. And this film sort of points out, okay, well, here's a society whose um, normal capitalism has failed because mm-hmm. you know they're no longer producing stuff. It's rare to get fresh food and things, yeah. and they've got factories which are fortresses mm. are not factories are farms that are fortresses he says yeah. and clearly you can still get things yeah there's someone's got like got a couple of apples and a, a yeah. limp stick of celery and a little bit of beef and things so it's it's passed beyond that and now mm. it's literally just the consumers are consuming other consumers <laughs> and it's uh, and and because cynically that's what we're doing now isn't yeah, it? Like, yeah yeah why why do these people go to work at the cafe well to hand coffee to the people who work at the hairdressers next door and they mm. do that because they got to cut the hair of the people who work at the accountancy down the yeah. road who are doing the taxes for the coffee shop yep and and and, and so it's just goes in this circle yeah yeah and i think in that same mirror reflection idea you're talking about also we don't really have a say in then how that actually plays out like that's what it, this film was saying like the the people at the bottom even thorn they're just doing a job and he's like, I don't want to lose my job. He says it three times in the film, mm. uh, I noticed on this feeling. So, like, it's, he's so desperate. He doesn't want to lose a job because he knows he will slide even worse. <laughs> his yeah. position will go worse. He'll, he'll move from his apartment out onto the stairs. Out onto the stairs, yeah. And and so, but at the same time, it's like the same as our society now is that you have the powerful, the wealthy society side that kind of make those decisions. And here the analogy is put to the extremity of like, well – We'll sell you this soil and green stuff. It's protein-based food. It'll keep you alive. But that's them made that decision. No one is telling them that it's actually eating humans. Maybe we'd be all right eating each other if we were starving to death, but the information is not provided. It's been decided by other people. Yeah. And it's the same with the, the idea of shill, like being a piece of furniture. Like It's being decided by those other people in our society. It's not being decided by whether us. she gets to stay there or not. Yeah, not her choice. Not her choice. No. Yeah. No. So I I think there's that sort of idea of the mirror of we don't really get that decision either as the worker bees in the hive. And, and I think this is what makes it uh, sci-fi. Yeah. Because we do have this. Uh, it's it's science fiction, sociological science fiction yeah. more than anything else. There's not. I don't. Think there's any. There's not really any technology presented here, which no. is not existent or wasn't feasible in '73. Mm. Uh, you know, I suppose you could easily just create those soylent biscuits. Yeah, yeah. Every, everything, those dump trucks were just 1970s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. whole lot. Guns, all that were just standard stuff. And yeah. the, even the, the cars, they didn't even bother doing the cars up. No. And, and that wasn't the point. The point is they took the society to the extreme, mm. and they took these these ideas, and and that's why that's why I think this is a classic because. Uh, at the time, if you were in 1973 and you watched this film, you you kind of would have gone. Uh, I, I can see like the, it didn't do that well with the critics. I mean, it cost four million and returned 210 global or something. So like it's it's been a very you know significantly successful film. Mm. But the critics at the time were sort of going, uh, it's sort of just like a New York cop show with uh, you know some fancy dress on it. Yeah. You know, it's it's not. It's it's kind of a little bit um, ordinary. Yeah. But maybe maybe you need a bit of distance from that. You can yeah. look at it and go, actually, that's quite a prescient film. Like it's mm. it's really presented. You know, here we are, twenty twenty two. Metaphorically, we're doing some of the things in this yeah, movie. Yeah, definitely, 
Definitely. So, yeah, that feel, looking at the philosophy of society sci-fi in here. Yes. Yeah. So, do we have any science fiction action going on that we're doing? Well, we do have our film festival coming up. So, the Space Brain Science Fiction Film Festival happening here in Mandra. More than welcome to come. The borders are opening as of tomorrow. By the time you listen to this podcast, the borders in WA are open again. My parents will be um, coming uh, only a week after this is out. My parents will arrive and see their grandkids for the first time in years. Our uh, capitalist leader here is giving you free rat tests as you arrive, so you'll be safe and sound. Soylent um, yellow, soylent red, soylent rat, and whatever soylent it is, rat. and uh, yeah, you, and I think there's free tourism vouchers. I wonder if your parents will pick them up. That was what was announced today. There's some freebies in there. Anything worth a hundred bucks to two thousand dollars freebies that they're handing out. So, so, so you could, more than welcome to WA and come to the, the festival. Tickets are going to be on sale. Sure, I'm just wondering if they're going to be on sale by the time this is out. I'd, maybe, maybe. <laughs> so imminently. So check the the Manpack site. Uh, and our subscribe, site. We'll, we'll sub- subscribe to Manpack. You get the newsletter, and yep. we'll be in that. Yep. I'm sure uh, you'll be able to get the tickets. There's workshops. Uh, there's the screening and awards, uh, or you can do the whole lot. Yep. Um, it's going to be a fantastic day. We've got yep. we're we're securing some lovely speakers to come and talk to us about useful things. Certainly, are. science fiction oriented, obviously. Yeah. So hopefully to have some filmmakers, some expert science, some writers, uh, podcasters sort of all under the one roof delivering some tailored workshops. And then as Sari mentioned, followed by an awesome couple of hour red carpet screening event with all the best short sci-fi that has been submitted to Space Brains. And I have a a sneaky suspicion there will be an after party. Probably. But whether that's... all around. Yeah, how, how... Heavily advertised that will be, or for maybe a secret, you know, invite oh, only secret. arrangement oh. for the filmmakers yes. and so on. We'll see. We'll see how that. Turns and there will be Soylent Green catering Soylent available. Green we've, catering. we've lined up that company, so but apparently it's really good stuff. Nice cheap protein. So plankton based. Plankton based. So right, taking the vegans, I think. Plankton is vegans. Yeah. No. No. It maybe depends on how far you take your veganism. <laughs> I suspect. Yeah, probably. Like everything. Um, so let's get stuck into the plot and some of the details of Soylent Green. So this film did come out in 1973. Uh, we mentioned before Richard Fleischer. Fleischer, Fleischer. He has made, I wasn't, I'd recognize the name. Yeah. I looked him up. Mm. He has made some of my favorite mm. 80s and earlier films. Any one that sticks out? Conan the Destroyer, Red Sonja. Conan Sonia. the Destroyer, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 20,000 Leagues 20, Under the Sea leagues, and Tora Tora. Tora Tora Tora. Yeah, and I think he made an Empty Mill film in there, a horror film as well yeah, in the Amity, 80s. Amityville 2? Yeah, something sequel? like that. Yeah. <laughs> but he's very prolific, made a whole, a whole bunch of different... Oh, he's made uh, Westerns, yeah. he's made uh, a Viking films. epic. Yeah. Yeah, he's made uh, you know science fiction films. Uh, including he did like the Omega Man. And, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's another one. Uh, was he Logan's Ooh. Run? Ooh, maybe, maybe. Or did I just listen? That's it a because, fact check. Someone I, out there could fact check. Yeah, Sorry, uh, I did actually confuse Logan, the Logan's Run with Swanland Green. Yeah, and I thought that people <laughs> over the age of thirty got turned into Swanland Green. Right. Which, you know, that's kind of cool too. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to come back to that. Don't give away any spoilers, sorry. 
uh, and it was written by Stanley, Stanley, uh, Stanley Greenberg, uh, based on the novel by that superhero, Harry Harrison. Um, now, the one and only Charlton Heston. You might like him, you might not like him, but he is a tour de force as an actor, and he stands out in this film as Thorne. 100 feature films in 60 years. Yeah, and... Also, the lead representative of the NRA for a while there. <laughs> he, was, he was also a um, uh, an equal rights campaigner. Yep. So he was he was very much for ending segregation and you know black rights and women's rights. Yeah. Uh, then yeah, and then he jumped onto he left the Democrats, joined the Republicans, supported Reagan, uh, and got the whole. Got NRA thing, ninety eight to two thousand and three. Yeah, but then he was diagnosed sadly with Alzheimer's, mm. so he had to step aside from that, and he has since passed on. Mm. Um, he was in a number of science fiction films. Yeah. Another classic, uh, The Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes, yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, he, he was in. Yeah, we will so have many. Uh, there's a hundred films <clears throat> he's been in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a number of science fiction films as well, but Planet yes. of the Apes is another one that you definitely, you know. That's pretty much where he gets his whole NRA credibility from. <laughs> from my dead, where's his cold dead hands? From my cold dead hands. Mm. Yeah. Um, and Lee Taylor Young as Sherl. And the other one I want to mention is Edward G. Robinson. He's been in loads of films. He plays Soul in this film. And him and Charlton just have some sort of chemistry going on, don't they? And he was going to be in Planet of the Apes. Yeah, right. He did the makeup test for Dr. Zayas. Okay. But uh, the heavy makeup and the long filming combined with his heart wasn't going to look good. Mm. So they went, nah. He's just like, you see it in this film. I mean, you see it with Charlton as well, but they're just, they're kind of actors that they, I do wonder if you really looked into them if they had a lot of theatre in their background, but they're just actors that know how to live in a scene. And I think that's the thing when Charlton steals all the stuff. He's like really living in that scene. Yeah. Like he's very casual and he leans on stuff. And he, the way he holds, like what I mean is they're kind of like they're actors that know how to hold their body where they look like they belong in that scene. And these two, it was interesting. The the there's that nice scene in the in the second act where they actually eat that food that he's stolen. Oh, and it's like almost like a romantic scene in a way. Oh, they, like they really enjoy this food, and we'll come to it in a moment. But that was actually an ad lib scene yeah. from the director that they just he he wanted them to play it out and you can and you see that like they just they they looks like it should belong in the movie so the director had the vision there to put that in but they didn't have a script to run it they were just ad-libbing that and that's a great little scene they really interacted and and worked through it the way they ate that food you know it, it was a felt stand, like it, it was a standout scene like yeah. the whole sequence in fact every sequence where you had charlie and um charlie. eddie uh, we're we're old, we're old we're Australians. Mates, Eddie and Charlie. Charlie were, and Eddie. Yeah, of course. Charlton Heston's it's not his original name. No, he was John Carter. Name. John Carter, which is oddly, you know, odd because there was a movie John Carter science fiction about science John fiction. Carter. Yeah, didn't have which he would have done well in. Actually, <laughs> he would have. Out. Yeah, in his day. But old Charlie and Eddie, every scene they had together, you really got that feeling they were close because yeah. they were supposed to be very they close. They were supposed you to. Yeah, they, they even said, you know, they, they, they loved each other, mm. which was like uh, a very refreshing sort of honesty and mm. emotional vulnerability between these two people. And it, and it sounded very genuine. Yeah, yeah. You know, like they were, they were really very um, fond, like um, maybe, maybe 
brothers, maybe father-son sort of dynamic. Yeah. Swapping between those two. Yes. But definitely a family dynamic because yeah. of the um, the, the way it is. It was very good. Now, we do need a little fact check here because you mentioned some different numbers for the budget in the box office and what I got. Um, I, what I've got is $2 million was the budget and the box office is doubling that to $3.7 Again, re- remembering this is 1973, so those numbers do add up to be a lot more money. I, I think it cost like a dollar to go to the movies back in those my, days. Mine was, was <laughs> global take so far. I okay, okay. $200, so $200 million it's done around the world yeah, so far. And maybe that also means since 1973, yes, so yes. over time. It's yeah. not that because yeah. the, the box office figure is usually for the first week. I uh, know the box office on IMDb tends to be that total of the cinema cinematic release. Oh, you know? its original release, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's it's release, since gone yeah. on to international release. Yeah, DVDs, yeah. CDs, right, that laser disc, sense, yeah, Blu-ray, the yeah. whole lot. Yeah, and it is something that people have talked about. I know, I knew even when I went to film school, people kind of joked about Soylent Green, or as mentioned in the textbooks, and I never just never got around to watching it myself at that age. I should have. But I just never did. So, yeah, you're never too old to watch this film and you're never too young. So go check it out. So we like to, on Space Brains, break the narrative down into some common elements that you can find from all good story and script writing teachers. Some of this goes right back in time to, you know, Shakespearean times or whatever. I reckon it goes back to biblical. Probably does. Campbell, Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey, total classic when it comes to writing stories. Go check it out. Um, myths and all that legends stuff comes under Campbell really and there's some other guys in there I mentioned Blake Schneider a lot it's a real Hollywood guy and uh, Robert McKee again really based in the sort of United States narrative um, and field as well more into how to sell a good story but the essential side of all of this Surrey is a three-act structure so a beginning middle and sounds so easy, but when you sit down to write at the keyboard, not so easy sometimes. Oh. <laughs> so we need to break that down into those acts. So what happens in Act 1? In Act 1 is where you think you're really confident, you know exactly what you're writing. That's right. You can blitz 10 pages <laughs> like yeah, you, that. Yeah, you go, wow, this is the best Act 1. And then you realize, in fact, that you've forgotten everything. Yeah. Now, act 1 <laughs> is the introduction. It's the setup. It's the part where we have an opening image like this. Uh, because it's a visual media we're talking here, but... Yeah. This basically still works for written yeah, work or Yeah, it would audio. work for a novel as well. It has slightly different timings involved, mm. but the opening image is usually literally some images which set a scene and, and mm-hmm. tell you what the world is going to be like. Yeah. We meet the characters and we get some uh, – sometimes the theme is very directly stated, like you'll have a character sort of say, you know, uh, bravery is just about admitting you're afraid – but doing it anyway, mm. or something like that. That's a good one. And <laughs> take notes. And it'll come up later on. You know? So the theme gets stated. Uh, we then have uh, all the characters. We have the uh, catalyst or the inciting incident. This is the part where you as an audience member are presented with, I like to think of it as you're presented with a question and the answer is in act two or three. Mm. Or, you know, across both of those. Yeah, definitely. Like, but in any case, you've got this question and now you want to know how it is answered, how it unfolds. Yeah. And there's always a bit of umming and ahhing the debate mm, before yeah. we get to act two. Because we get should given I, a question, something dramatic happens, the main character involved is like, oh, this, I wasn't expecting this. What, you know, should I do something about this? 
and you know, obviously yes, hmm. but it's always um, and, and this this debate I think it sets us as the audience sets us up to start questioning and thinking about these things, hmm. and it, it gets our juices flowing into the story. Yeah, which goes to Act Two. Yeah, and part of that debate could be that him not being brave, so that that re repeats the theme, doesn't it? Yes. So Act Two is the fun and games. We like to have fun in movies. <laughs> we like to actually have the play out of the scenes and and the story that they've decided to go on. So in Soil and Green, it's a murder mystery. That's the inciting in- incident. Now in Fun and Games, it's a detective investigating the murder mystery. Yeah, so that's you, the fun you gotta and games. You got to yeah. You got to have like maybe a car chase a or a biffo. foot race. You got to have some fighting. You got to find some more interesting characters that are going to reveal little bits and bobs of the of the murder, or and also set up some sort of this person could be the murderer or this person could be the murderer. So like that's the whole point. So we need to set that up, and that's the fun and games. It's where we as the audience sit down. And and go, oh, yeah, baby, this is a good story. Um, and sometimes it's uh, something that leads to a bit of a positive midpoint or a more negative midpoint. So in a murder mystery, it could be that, oh, no, no now it's not just one person that's dead. It's a whole bunch of people. We've got a serial killer on our hands. And co- another common midpoint for I know for cop uh, movies or stories is now the detective is suspected. That's right. So he's maybe the, kicked off the force. They're thrown off the yeah, case exactly. because they they thought they'd busted the bad guy, but it was actually, you know, they'd accused the mayor. Yeah, that's and right. And the mayor was found to be innocent. Yes, yes. Or was he? But no, it doesn't matter because now the cop is out on yeah. his ass. Yeah, or even the cop could be, it is the mayor, but I don't have the bravery to arrest the mayor. And then the sergeant's like, well, you're not brave enough to be a cop. Get out of here, you know, so you've made a mistake, you know, so get off the force, you know, so definitely. And quite often there is that a midpoint is more of a downer, which heads us into more negative territory or up in the stakes. And some of this stuff in the storyline is to really build that tension. So things get worse for our protagonist. The world closes in, in a murder mystery like this, we have, you know, yeah, the, the mayor wasn't, was innocent. So the cops thrown off the force. He no longer has the weight of the law behind him. And yet now he's closer to the killer, but he's got no gun. And so the killer has something back over him, you know. Mm. And then it turns out that the mayor actually is the plot, you know, the leader of building these murders up or whatever, right? Ah, oh, it all yeah. comes out to play then heading to the third act, sorry. The third act is, of course, the finale. This is how everything is wrapped up. We end up with coming out of act two, the, the hero has been inspired to take that final last hard push mm. even though he's been discouraged and in trouble now he's gone i'm gonna push through mm-hmm. and he jumps and does what he has to do but then it's not quite enough mm. because he's just been carrying on the way he's always been carrying on yeah and he gets yeah there's a reversal of some sort uh, uh and his true metal is is tested his the theme of the, the movie might be required to play out now definitely um and through that, the hero rises and we get a finale. Or, or you know, if we have an anti-hero story, the, the hero decides to, um, you know, or the anti-hero decides that he can do better than himself or beat himself. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's a confusing thing with anti-heroes. <laughs> Go talk to Batman, find out what he's all about. Yeah. And we get the final image, which is sort of the 
opposite or it's a bookend or it's some sort of um, exclamation point on the opening image. Mm. So we'll, we'll see something uh, that'll indicate how things are going to be afterwards. Yeah. And that's... After this journey. After this journey. And, and, and that's usually the point that sticks with you. Yes. When you leave. So a well-crafted movie like Soil and Green is people sticks to you. Like, yeah. I mean, I knew, I'd never seen the movie, but I knew that you phrase. Knew, knew what was coming. So many places. You know, The Simpsons have done it, of course. Yeah. Futurama, of course. Countless other um, movies and things have somehow referenced that phrase or that concept. Mm. So what a twist. What a twist. So I, we'll get into the plot. I just want to set set up the dynamics of the story about that. And we've talked a bit about this already. The world is overcrowded. The people are dirty, grimy, living on the streets, in the cars, in the staircase. Things are broken. The chairs are broken. The st- you know, when he comes up and down that staircase, it's like the baluster shaking like anything. You know, he's standing on people's fingers, but at the same time kind of maneuvering like he does this all the time. There's guys sitting at the bottom or the top of staircases with machine guns, and that's just normal. That's the security. <laughs> um, the furniture is women that obviously have no other value and it's a really good way for them to survive. So just basically come with the apartment is a woman, right? Um, so that that's interesting uh, sort of dynamic to this dystopian world that they, they, they build. Also, every time the characters kind of make a decision, it's quite a desperate decision. So like we're saying, he steals stuff from the apartment. The concierge, when he comes in, he like starts beating up those women for being in the oh, apartment. He, he fully punches like, one of them. Yeah, in the he guts. punches them in the great. guts. He slaps one, like you know, like. Oh, and sorry, that's oh, that's not great. It's terrible. No, it's terrible. But, but it's great it, to see uh, a character being portrayed. That's that right. Um, the even and as I said before, the bodyguard's wife like offers herself as well to try to keep things on the down and arrow with mm. the with Thorn. The riot, like, it's like people are just on the edge, you know. Oh, they're only giving us a quarter pound of green, of soil and green today. And everyone's like, no, there better be more stuff. And and then it's like, you know, oh, get the riot, the scoop thing. The scoops, yeah, I love that. <laughs> we're getting the scoops, like, they're not just like, move out of the way, riot patrol. It's like, no, we're just, it's like, this society is really on a knife's edge, like, yeah. constantly. And everyone's life is on a knife's edge. So I just want to sort of set that up. Violence seems to be at every turn is the decision is like, let's go to violence. You know, if you go to the church scene, people are spewed all over the place. The priest is exhausted and he doesn't even seem to have his mind with him, you know, like trying to, you know, just be a priest. Like he can't. So yeah, I think that's important. That tone is set from the start of this film and it goes all the way to the end. So sorry, I was mentioning the opening image. This film does an interesting opening montage, right? Like it does a series of photos it uh, goes for a couple of minutes and the photos kind of demonstrate the industrial age of humanity yeah. up until the year 2022. Um, and what I loved about this montage is it kind of like it starts with some of those, the, the beginning of the industrial age and stuff um, is 
people are quite happy in the photos, but things society seems to be quite good. The music is quite upbeat and happy at that point. Mm. When we get to about the middle, when we're getting more to the 1960s, kind of there's like freeways and cars and stuff like that, the music starts getting faster and faster, like we're building up to yeah, a climax. Busier. And things are busier. There's lots more people. You know, the population is growing, the technology is growing, the cars are growing. Um, and the music really upbeats to that. And then people are also not starting to look so happy. And I think there's images, it starts to put in images of pollution and maybe war and stuff. And then it kind of, from there, descends further into, you know, real pollution of in the environment, uh, destruction of lands. And the music really then doesn't just, it doesn't increase in speed. It then becomes quite a depressing tonal orchestra score from the original beat and i'm like wow in in about two minutes the director there has really shown us society and And where we've gone wrong brought us up to speed yeah it's brought us up to speed and so that's a great to me opening image did you feel like that yeah i i liked that it was it was in there there was no voiceover no no voiceover you know how much i hate the the text scrolls and the voiceovers like you know and that's the thing right like we see a lot of especially sci-fi we do see a lot where you have that opening text, the year 2022. Yes. New York is overpopulated. You know, global warming has devastated the environment. Yeah. Like when you look at this, this was a really clever visual way of showing us the breakdown I know. I mean, of society. We've, we've got a movie. We're seeing footage. Show yeah. us Show, show us, us footage. The, the I don't want to read. Becoming overpopulated. I didn't come here to read, nerd. <laughs> yeah, I would okay. have read the book. There's a book. Basically. There's a book. <laughs> I wrote a book about this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, and we open then with Detective Thorne and this old man, the police recorder, the books. The book. <laughs> the book. And they're in this little dirty apartment. They're really desperate for food. Thorne says in this opening bit that he's not going to give away his job. Uh, There's 20 million unemployed people. 20 million unemployed people, yeah. So 50% Jeez. unemployment. 50% unemployment, yeah. And he hops on the bike, little soul. To get a little bit of power going. Charge up the batteries. (laughs) And he says something like, I've ridden around the world three times. Yes. (laughs) Just to charge up the batteries. When when Thorne exits, there's overcrowded stuff. There's people spewed all over the place, down the stairs. Um, Yeah, it's it's not a very... Pleasant looking place. No, to begin no. With. and I mean, he's looking. He's still looking into some old, like two year old murders and things. Yeah, but people are moved, can't be found. Yeah, or you know, whatever else. Mm. He can't get. He can't get a break on these things. Crimes that are going unsolved, and there's so many unemployed people. And he says that he, you know, I think later on in the movie he even mentions if he's two days off, sick, then he, he his job gets passed on to someone else. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, which, you know, that's. That's kind of a bit rough. So we cut then to there's this guy on the street, hops into the car with, is it his wife or something? Or his wife was in the back seat living, I think, yeah. doing something or a woman's in the back. And this sort of guy with sunglasses and a weird hat kind of, and it's great because he like pulls out two bits of metal and clips them together. And it's this like big hook, isn't it? Yeah, it's like kind of like a crowbar. crowbar thing. But I think later um, Thorne says a beef. A meat hook. A meat hook. And I'm like, oh, maybe that was that a meat hook? I, I, I would have thought it was just a Jimmy Bar, but you know, pro yeah. bar or something. Anyway, but it's a pretty late, and this guy really, rub, you know, rubs it, gives it a good rub once over. Um, we then cut to the introduction of Soylent Green Day is on Tuesday. Sorry, Sounds, Soylent yes. Green Wolf. Silent red, silent yellow, Soylent. Soylent so, yellow. Yeah, you know, there's high carbohydrate, and there's like now Soylent Green, high in protein. Yeah, you know, like 
So that was a good one. Yeah, and it's they explain some sort of substitute from sea plankton, but don't really give us any other description of that, which is I thought it's good. You don't need to over-explain it. Well, it's funny, though, because this whole movie is called Soylent Green. Yeah. And the original trailer is what is the secret of Soylent Green? <laughs> but the movie really downplays the whole Soylent yeah. Green thing. It's yeah. mentioned in the background, but so is Soylent Red and Soylent Yellow. Yeah. So is you know the fact that the world is overpopulated, whatever. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I think Soylent Green is the human, what the exposed twist of the film is. Yes. I think red and yellow might actually be other stuff. Yeah, the, the lower quality. Yeah. <laughs> Dross. So we then come into this beautiful young woman who's playing like space invaders. Yeah, asteroids or something. Yeah. <laughs> Futuristic 2022 video game. Um, it's a pretty cool console, but it's isn't it? The funny like, thing is, in 73, like that space, that asteroids would have been cutting edge. But That was majorly cutting edge. But they, I had this feeling in 73, it would be difficult for them to have conceived of yeah. what the video games would be like now. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to like pre-internet. You know, I, mean, I don't doubt of, in 50 years' time, people are going to look back at the way we have our VR headsets and go, what? Okay, that's a bit um, clunky and I old. just click a button and it's inside my head. You yeah. Know? Uh, anyway, so um, she plays with this this older man, you know, says, oh, I'm glad you enjoyed the present. There's this other younger man who's kind of like a guard, a bodyguard kind of character um, is there and he escorts her out. She, very sexually suggestive says i'm bringing you back a present mm. and uh he doesn't really and and his name is um simon simonson yeah. uh he doesn't seem too excited from the present that she's going to bring back which i was a bit like oh okay so there's sort of like a bit of underground or a bit of underneath tension going on yeah, between it, it all I, I could tell that it, simonson was trying to get these people out yeah yeah so i you know for what reason we cut back the rough guy is like bashing in the wall, which enable with the crowbar enables him to climb up. He kind of dodges security, enters this more wealthy area of the Very town, space, yeah. and he heads up the apartment building really quickly. And there he is on top of Simonson, basically. And um, you know the great thing here, uh, as part of the world building, is this guy Gilbert. I think his name was yeah Gilbert. Gilbert. Uh, he was really simple. Yeah, like he says. Uh, I was told that you had to die because you're not reliable. Yeah. And, yeah, the person says, ah, yes, I'm not surprised. I don't like it, but um, yeah, I suppose it's necessary. Mm. And Donovan, now Donovan Gilbert says, so I'm not doing bad? <laughs> like, you know, like he's not hamming up like an idiot, but, like, you can see yeah. that he's, he's clearly dealing in concepts yeah. that are beyond him. He's just... Get and get paid. Yeah, and yeah. and and he does say today. He goes, well, no. Simonson says it's not the something like it's not the right thing to do. Yeah, for God, but it's like the right thing to do. You know, and he's yeah. kind of surrendering to it. And he then just hacks into the back of his head, gives him a good few whacks with yeah, the yeah, yeah. with the crowbar. Nicely shot that. So that to me is the catalyst, right? Is that the catalyst for you? Yeah, that that's certainly the yeah the turning point of the story because. Yeah. We have been we told have about he's he's got other <laughs> murders that are unsolved. Yeah, and then we see this murder happen, mm. and he's the one who turns up. Yes, uh, which yeah, it invariably makes you think. Well, okay, we're yeah. going to find out who killed him and why. That's right. Yeah. So the murder. So um, 
and it's one of those ones, see, there's different styles here of filmmaking that do you show the audience, what do you show the audience? So in this context, we have actually seen Gilbert kill Simonson. Yes. So we're on the journey with Thorne. We actually know who the murderer is, yes. which straight away gives you a bit of a clue that there's probably a bigger it, it picture to paint. because who, who did the killing is yeah, not the important thing. That's right. So it's not as important. Whereas in another film, we might open, there's some really classic detective films, um, which are well referenced out there where like Sunset Boulevard, I'm pretty sure by the top of my head's one, that classic one that gets referenced where the start of the film just slowly pans out of this pool and there's a dead woman in this pool and then the detectives rock up, you know? And so you don't know who murdered her. That's the whole point. So the audience knows as much as the detective. In this one, no, we know more than Thorne. So um, Detective Thorne investigates a murder, right? But we know he's kind of a depressed downtrodden police officer or detective in this dystopian world who hasn't maybe solved a case for a couple of years because they're just too many. So he rocks up at the apartment. He doesn't care, really. He wanders around, sniffs the place, starts nibbling, starts stealing things. You mentioned grabs, tips out the pillow, starts loading up the pillow. I love the way he just took... He didn't take necessarily obvious valuable things no. like cash, jewellery. He took yeah. a bar of soap, a towel. Books. Uh, yeah, a couple of books that alcohol. look nice and some alcohol. Yeah. And I mean, he said the bodyguard says, oh, I don't think you should be just taking or having a drink, I think. He goes, because he says, well, you know, get me a bottle of alcohol. And he goes, well, you, you're not going to work here anymore. Yeah. And he goes, oh, I've been paid for the month. He goes, well, you're retired. You know, you're not working here anymore. Like, yeah. take your money and run. You who's who's going to complain? Who's going to complain? Yeah, and he washes the water off his face, like uses water, running water, you know, running water. And that's a good thing. This Wagner guy rocks up as well. These two black... Uh, masked men and they take the body and they're you know thorn signs and he's like oh you get my normal cut yeah we'll get a cut and they're taking the body i don't know what that means they're gonna well dispose it, of the and body. it's also it's just sanitation i said sanitation yeah and indeed later on you, you find out that literally just chuck her in a garbage yeah, ship chuck trucks. everyone in garbage trucks um which on a side note in new york when covid happened well that's actually what they kind of did as well so yeah when there's this much population how do you deal with that much death Probably yeah. garbage trucks. Silence. That's, that's a horrifying... <laughs> it's a horrifying thing, but it's the... Horrifying thought, yes. Yeah. But anyway, he also brings in this piece of furniture, Sherl, the girl, and <laughs> so that's what I was talking about before he's acting. Like He starts grilling her pretty normal detective questions, but he's like leaning against the air con, like sucking in yeah. the air con as much as he can. Um, she she um, says uh, she wouldn't like kill him because it'd be risking his, her job so it sort of explains that oh i'm not the murderer because this is my uh, job it put her out of yeah. out of house and home she it? comes with the apartment a new owner can come in and and just not take her and then she's out on the street yeah and then it's an interesting little note here that when thorn leaves Cheryl with this guard goes where are they taking the body and he's like oh it doesn't really matter does it like they take the body away and she goes oh i seem to have a memory of my grandmother dying and we had a ceremony yeah and there's no oh well we don't do that anymore but the silence from the other character suggests yeah that's not our traditions yeah, anymore so, we just yeah, okay okay yeah. then like well fine but we don't do that yeah and this is this is the end uh, of <clears throat> basically the end of act Two. Yeah. Act, and, act one. Act, sorry, yes. We're about to get to act two. Yeah. And 
we're going to enter into B story territory, but mm-hmm. we have this debate. Did you pick up any particular debate? Because some movies or some stories have very obvious ones where they go, oh, I've discovered this thing. I should follow it up, but oh, no, I'm too scared to. Mm. No, I, I should for once be brave in my life. Yeah. But in this one, what what did you pick up as the debate? Well, to me, it was Thorn deciding that this isn't just a regular murder. So that, to me, is the debate. So the debate is kind of him going, oh, this needs to be investigated. And to me, that's why the actually just before Act 2 is basically him, he meets the captain. So we haven't yep, met the, the captain chief. before, the chief or whatever. And again, it's in a police station, run down, overcrowded, chairs breaking, bits of furniture. There's bribery happening, you know, survival. The chief is almost like, who cares? We have, I think, doesn't he say something like, we have 184 murders today, <laughs> something like. Yeah. So, so like, who cares about this one? But Thorne makes the argument that no, this is like an assassin assassination. I think he says something yeah. along those lines. So the debate is the detective Thorne deciding no, this isn't just a normal murder case. This is a bigger yeah, picture. It made it look like someone just yeah. killing, but nothing was. He knows nothing was stolen yeah. because there's still all the good stuff there yeah. for him to take. Yeah. And they joke well, about that, don't yeah, they? Yeah, who who would have taken the uh, yeah the chief says yeah well how much you take everything I get my hands <laughs> yeah, on that's right <laughs> everything I can fit in a pillowcase but it, it's great isn't it because during the him investigating the murder scene he really comes along so nonchalantly about it all we like like I don't care I'm stealing stuff like it's very like as an audience it's a bit awkward it's not like the oh the detective coming in he's going to solve it he's looking for every piece of it's all very subtle what he's figuring out in the scene isn't mm. it yeah and that's what i really liked about it. and heston did that really well it's a very subtle performance and i think the the decision to continue on is when the chief says you should get a new book yeah. you know and he says no i can't leave soul yes yeah, uh, yeah and then he's like uh, i'm we're doing all right yeah and so he goes, yeah, I'm going to continue on. Like there was still a bit of pressure there to, mm. yeah, let's not get too carried away with this. Get a new book. And, and do you think that that's the B story, is Soul? Well, I was going or to ask about think... the B story because there's his relationship with Sherl, Sherl yeah. which kind of – but I, re- I think it is Soul. I think it because is Soul Because Soul comes up later on uh, at the end of Act 2, mm. which is usually where the B story has a bit of resolution just before yeah. Act 3. B story yeah. usually doesn't have any – play in act three mm. and if you if you remember we didn't focus on it much at the start they almost have a bit of an argument at the start of the film in yeah. that first scene whereas then now when he comes back with the goodies in the fun and games he he celebrates and they, they as I said they have this dinner they have this like almost romantic <laughs> moment but it's not romantic as in lustful love that that it's romantic as in just the way they fold out the scene and they they just have sheer joy, like little kids having a dinner party. Because you know? Sol had also introduced the theme of, yeah, people have always been shitty. Yes. But the earth used to be beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Thorne not that convinced. Yeah. He gets a little glimpse of it with his dinner. It's not until uh, the end of Act 2 where the B story wraps up and he is. He goes, yes, mm. that's right. These things used to be beautiful. And Sol had asked at this point, what have we come to? <laughs> <laughs> which was used in the trailer to make it seem as if that was his response to learning about Saul and Green. Yeah. But he actually says that in response to seeing the beef where he's like so overjoyed at seeing fresh meat Yeah. that he's realized, oh my goodness, how far have we fallen that, <laughs> you know, seeing fresh food is, you know, so joyous. 
So detective. So we jump into the fun and games. Thorn follows the bodyguard. That's his kind of first angle. You know, this yeah, is what well, I mean. So he's a detective. There must have been a guy on the inside. Yeah. Uh, the bodyguard's know. a sophisticated, you know, soldier, so to speak. Let's check him out. And so he sees him exit his home. He enters really roughly. There's a woman. This woman was eating jam out of a jar and I guess like in terms of her wealth status that didn't make sense so she hides the jam jar when Thorn comes in again I love Thorn comes in just starts like opening drawers pulling out stuff looking at stuff yeah, he doesn't he doesn't like, ask or show a warrant no he doesn't he doesn't do anything going. and um you know she's kind of naked maybe and you know like she's just wearing like a shawl thing um and she notices that she left her spoon out. So there's a good little like herring, isn't there, in the scene? Yeah. Um, while he sort of interrogates her. This time, it's much more intentional than the murder scene. He, he's much more more traditional detective. You can see he's asking yeah. series of questions. Um, and yeah, and then at the end, there's a great moment that um, she says, "Oh, I should have offered you something." And he goes, "Well, if I had the time, I would have taken it." And then leaves, and then she looks down, and the spoon's gone. Spoon's gone. So it's like, ah, son of a bitch. So there is a clue that's like, because we don't really know what this clue no, is. Like, no, no, we don't. Uh, I, I had the hint that, okay, it must be rich, but then did he take it just because he wanted yeah, to again, take now, something? What or? would we expect now? Sorry, it'd be for DNA or something, right? Like, yeah. But again, this is 73, way before DNA technology. And he gave it to Sol, and Sol tasted it. <laughs> <laughs> and said strawberries. Strawberries. 150 D's a jar. Yeah. And that just says enough to Thorn, so, you know, he takes off. But just before that, that's when they'd had that scene of eating their spoils, like two oh, little children. So beautiful. I love how um, Sol also right at the end, like, tries to bite the apple. But obviously, because you don't eat that food, you, your teeth wouldn't work really very well anymore, would you? Your yeah. jaws would be weak. He ends up having to chop it up. Chop it up. But he still enjoys it. And old Heston, the Thorn, down to the very little stem. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't waste any of it. No. It reminded me if you put R2 boys in a room and gave them a dinner party, I think that's kind of how they would eat yeah, kind of thing, not. like just sort of overjoyed with it all. Either They either eat that way or... Don't just touch it. Don't touch it, yeah, yeah. at all. <laughs> so Soul also explains... Oh, yeah, the, here just before that thing, he also explained from those, he gives him those lovely books. The the Soylent Oceanographic Survey, Volumes 1 and 2. Yeah, is it 2015 through to 2019, something yeah. like that? Yeah, and um, he, but he explains to Thorne that Soylent, this company, have actually bought out this other company and then they actually own half the food yeah. supply for the whole world. Yeah. Something like that, you know, so it's just like a bit like of... Like Procter & Gamble or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what's that other one that sort of owns all the Monsanto? Two- yeah, Monsanto. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's going to do a bit of digging, digging. into Simonson. Yeah, and in the meantime, Thorn is heading back to the um, West Gate Towers or the oh, whatever the the towers, the, the rich people's tower. Yeah, and Simonson's he, apartment. He he walks in and is like just you call it maybe a furniture shop full of furniture. <laughs> like yeah. it's just a. It, anyway, this is like the all furniture the, is spectacular. All the, all the women were up having a bit of a, a shindig in this apartment. Yeah, it's probably what they do when there's you know a vacant apartment. Well, the guys died. Why not take it on? They all just rock, rock up there, enjoying and, the spoils, right? And and again, yeah, Thorn wanders in and uh, doesn't pay much attention. He goes straight to Cheryl, starts talking, and I love this scene. Also, the casualness with which they go into the other room and 
get naked and get into bed yeah. while Whilst he's just questioning it. Talking, totally yeah. no, nothing romantic, nothing no. sexy at all about this. No. It's just, oh, yeah, okay. And then she just gets up and he gets on. Yeah. Uh, it's wonderful. But here is where there's – because I think you could read into that that then Thorn is – a bad guy a bit, right? Like yeah. he's taken advantage of, even though she's furniture, is he just totally taken advantage? But then I think then the following scene has been deliberately constructed to kind of put him on the good side, right? Save the cat a bit. Yeah. So, because then whilst he's in the bedroom with Cheryl, uh, the concierge breaks in. Charles. Charles. And, and that's his only name. Yeah, that's his one Isn't, and only that's name. Illegal? That's legal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he just, as we mentioned before, he goes in, he punches one in the guts. He really gives another one a couple of slaps over the face. These women women are hysterical. He's obviously got the power over them and he's questioning how dare they be in this apartment. They should be in their own apartments. And uh, so, and then what I like here is Thorne came back in and instead of it being like vi- physically violent, he overpowers him with words. Yeah. And that was a really – so it showed – a, Thorne was actually quite a good guy because he's obviously standing up for women, makes a guy a good guy. Yeah. So he's saving the women. Yes. Yeah. No, it does. It's clear rules of movie play, right? Like he's saving the yeah. cat. This other guy beats and bashes women. Pretty easy to be the good guy, right? But he doesn't come in and just start beating him up, which he probably could have because the guy was a lot littler than him. And isn't allowed to fight police. No, he's not allowed to fight police. And but they overpower through the use of words and the sort of power play of being a police officer and what's he doing there and does he want to make a report and yeah, maybe so these women I, want to make a report. I asked all these women in here to question them. Yeah. Do you have a problem with that? Yeah. And like, oh well, no, of course not. Yes. Maybe you'd like to make a report. And while he's doing that, he's clicking his gun in. Yeah. You know, so it's threats of violence and power over how much power you have. Mm. Because I think, again, both these guys have power, but they don't actually have a lot of power. They're still not like the wealth, right? They're not the yeah. wealthy people. No, well, you, you see the difference in where they're living and yeah. what Simonson has, yes. at, you know, on call. Yeah. So to me, this le- and then he leaves, the women leave, and he's Thorne's going to leave. And to me, this is the midpoint, sorry. So it'd be interesting what you think. But I've found that this was... He stays the night in the apartment. There's kind of like a a false victory here because he's going to go off. Cheryl offers him to stay, food. She's going to rub him down after a shower. And they have this kind of like... um, They have the shower and it's kind of almost a bit kind of comedy or it's. I think it's laughing at the weirdness it is for someone that lives normally in those other apartments and then now they're in this luxury scenario and they sort of joke about it, don't they go we'll make it so cold it's like winter well you know, and, that, like, and that is why this is a midpoint because it's yeah. almost like a victory it's like it he's, is he's kind of he's enjoying got these this spoils. high point yeah and you know this is going to be the highest he gets but there's a lovely line in there where he mm-hmm. grabs a cigarette yeah. off the woman and he takes a puff and hands it back to him and goes, ah, if it wasn't for the money, I'd probably have two or three of those in a day. <laughs> like, was that was that a joke about addiction in yeah, 1973? I think so. Where people like pack a day at least. Yeah, yeah. Easy done. Yes. Uh, I think that's, that, I, I actually had a bit of a chuckle. At that. I, had a, I thought that was a cool line But that too, was yeah. definitely an indicator that we've hit that middle point region yep. where he's now on top of the world. He's making mm. progress. He's He's got a suspect. He's... Staying in the luxury apartment, 
And then we start going down. down. And I think <laughs> I think we see that symbolized by he goes to the church. Because yeah, it's Sherlock definitely. from the church. Yeah. He goes to the church and he unties a, a little child mm. from the mother's... You know, it was tied to dead hands wrist. from my cold dead uh, yeah, hands. Yeah, from her cold dead hands. It takes this sobbing child into the the, te- the, mm. the temple, the church, where the priest then is zombie-like. And this clearly, as as Exhausted. the audience, you're going, is it just exhaustion? Or does he also know something? Because yeah, Simonson was ready to die. Yep. And now this, this guy is not looking great. And he almost coughs up something that, you know, priests aren't allowed to do, which is confession and reveal confession especially back in 1973. but And you're exactly right. It's like he's got a secret he wants to give out. Um, but again, I love the world building here because the church is overcrowded. There's bunk beds. He says, oh, we should really have a have a mass. Should I move things for a mass? You know, like he's questioning Thorne and asking for that reference point, which clearly he is just distraught and... Yeah, overwhelmed with everything, you know, and and what should he say and shouldn't say, and yeah, it's a, it's a great scene that one, and and to me, it is bad guys closing in. It's this world is not this world is shitty <laughs> because it's straight after that where Thorne goes in to talk to the chief again, and I might note the chief here is is black with the power over the white people, yeah, which nineteen seventy three. Kind of could be seen, not quite controversial, but certainly would have been seen as a bit progressive. Uh, but the chief says, you got to close the case. Yeah. And there's the, the whole argument. So that's, that's, again, okay, we're past the midpoint. We're now, yeah. bad guys are closing in there. Now they're trying to shut down his case, trying to make things difficult for him. And then he's put on riot control. Yeah, that's his punishment. And, right? and I, had a, I had a question there where they said they're going to be backed up by the scoopers. Yeah. They mentioned the scoopers a couple of times. I'm going, oh, i got to find out what these scoopers are. <laughs> what on earth is a scooper? Yeah, and we then cut to, so these are all bad guys cutting in that. Then we have the mayor, so we saw the mayor on TV earlier. Uh, we then have that assassin guy, the guy with the sunglasses and that. Donovan. They meet in this weird greenhouse thing in the middle of the city. Well, it's, that's where the last living tree in New York is, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, right. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a bit bizarre. And, they, and, and he, the assassin says, well, this detective won't give up on the case and there's... It's progressing, so it's not looking great. You know, we're gonna we're gonna move the chessboard, don't we? Mm. And and he spoke to the priest, and the mayor's like, I don't want to hear any more. You just have to do what you have to do, and that's always code for where well, you've got to kill them all, right? Yeah. Um. So it is bad guys closing down, and to me that leads into a perfect all is lost because in the next scene, the bodyguard is in that huge queue of people at the church going into in and out of confession for the poor, exhausted priest. And he just goes in there and with the silencer, bang, bang. Yep. Priest is shoots, dead. Shoots that priest dead. So there's always all is lost is when someone or something needs to die, the priest is dead. And then we see the the marketplace where they're it's selling Soylent Red and Soylent Yellow. Clearly, yeah. people aren't that keen on the Soylent Red or the crumbs, the Soylent no. crumbs. Or the they soylent want the Soylent Green. Soylent Green. And Soylent, soylent Green, green is, is open and then... <laughs> The little report comes as, you know, we've been having some shipment problems as yeah. supply line problems. We're out. Yeah. It's a great, like, hustle and bustle of this, uh, you know, crowd. And it's a full-fledged crowd, isn't it, for a movie? They're, uh, yeah, they're not too happy too quick. The scoops, the scoops need to come in. It's the scoops, because we go straight to Riot. And the uh, Gilbert, the, the guy with the hook who did the murdering. Yeah, he's he starts, in the crowd. He starts trying to shoot. 
Someone better. Yeah. Like every every time he shoots, like some poor person gets in the way and takes the bullet. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote down he shoots. He tries to shoot him three times, so he like misses three times. Yes, and then uh, Thorn manages to he sort of like takes off his police gear a bit, and then so he looks like he's in the crowd, and he manages to corner him near the scooper. Yeah, and these scoops just to build the tension are. <laughs> Scoop dump well, trucks, like dump, they're, dump they're trucks. huge. They're, they're literally scooping people up with a big front yeah, loader. Yeah, they've got this great big, like... Hauling them over the top and yeah, dumping them in the dumping back. in the back, yeah. And I was just wondering, are they going to the Sue on the Green factory? They are, they are. They're going somewhere, sorry. I know. Uh, it'd be very easy to break bones if that was uh, how it, they did it. It would have been, yeah. I mean, particularly if you're <laughs> the either the first or maybe the... Um, you're second, <laughs> you're the first one, and you're going straight into the bare yeah. metal. But if you're the second one, that third dump is a whole bunch of people have been chopped on top of you. Yeah. You're going to get squished. Last week, you talked about the police using um, sonic torture, uh, basically yes. sonic missiles, kind of thing to like quell protesting. I mean, this is a whole nother level, isn't no, it? They didn't even bother trying to break them; they just start <laughs> literally scooping them into trucks to haul them all. Like, take a few away. We need more bodies anyway. Yeah. So it's it's all going downhill here, really. And then yeah, he he confronts um, Gilbert, and before he can say anything, he's squished by the scoop. Yes, and so that see that this is all going downhill for Thorn because if he'd managed, if he could have like arrested Gilbert, he's got the murderer and probably possibly information, but by him being squished, he gets nothing out of it. And the uh, the tensions increase or the the stakes are raised because now there's someone actively trying to kill him. That's right. And he he's copped a little you know injury to his leg. Yes. Which when he goes back to Sol, he explains that he Sol says I'll just take a day off. He says well if I if I take two days off. I'll lose my job. Yeah. And so I'll be all right. It's just, yeah, I mean, that's, it's pretty grim reality there. So he sends Saul off to the library. The book talk exchange. Talk to the exchanges. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whilst Thorn, Thorn and Sheryl have their bit of um, time together. Yeah. And that's where it's indicated that Sheryl actually likes him and, and he yeah. still likes her a bit more, but it's just not going to happen no. because, let's face it, yeah, you know, she's in the apartment. He's got nothing to offer. Yeah, and that, that's where they... It's a nice, depressing couple conversation where he, she's like, why don't we just run our way to the countries? You know, he's like, yeah. oh, every city's the same. And she goes, well, why don't we leave, you know, leave America kind of thing? And he goes, well, they protect all the good stuff. Like, yeah. all the good land is protected. The, the farms They're, or fortresses. Yeah, like, we're not getting in anywhere. You know, and so it really sets up. And Sol early in the film had said a similar thing. I should have gone back home out west years ago, you know, yeah. before it became the way it did. And it's like it's like they're all, they're all locked in this prison. What you said, a sausage factory. We're all just yeah. locked in soil and green. We're, that's it. There's no way out. And, uh, I mean, you think you got to – it's – it's kind of a bit like that in some places. If you're looking at, say, Los Angeles, it's a big, you know, megatropolis hmm. down the whole east, uh, west coast there. We have one here and as well. Sorry. We're getting towards there. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you sort of think, well, you, if you there's nowhere on the west coast there, almost nowhere on the west coast, yeah. you can sort of go without still being surrounded by, by people, people yeah. everywhere. Yeah. 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 And of course it gets expensive to go anywhere where there's more space. Yeah. Until you go somewhere where there's a lot more space and then of course you don't have the services. No. Yeah. And th- there's a reason why there is so much space. <laughs> so uh, at at yeah. the end of uh act 2 and this I always I, l- I like to look out for this now. I remember when I first realized this happens as a mm. kid is that death 
or the death of something or yeah. someone, I'd always recognized um, intuitively, I suppose, I picked up on the midpoint. Mm. Yeah, often it would be with these um, sports team yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, we've won this such and such. And you go, okay, oh, it's all really good. And I think it was, oh, no, there has to be actually something really bad happen. And then there has to be something like almost a, a game ender. And in this one here, Sol goes to the exchange uh-huh. with his soiling books and he learns some terrible truth that and he leaves a note then for Thorn, I'm going home. Hmm. And we don't know what that means. But Sol walks into this, you know, he walks up a deserted path into a, a building where there's air conditioning and he's oh that's nice, yeah. And there's all like um, old people, all yeah. just just streaming in constantly. It's almost like a um, an airport. Yeah, you know, there's people coming in, and it goes up to the check in, and Everyone's orange, your favourite colour, yeah. orange, yes, yeah. and I'll get the full twenty minutes, yes. Yeah. And he's led off into euthanasia, mm. which fair enough. There's a certain point where you get too old, and it's kind of a version of a funeral. The way we almost do a yeah. f- funeral now, you know, it's but it's the dying bit that's the funeral bit for the, the person yeah. surrendering. So he lies on this very clinical white bed. He's stripped down by a man and a woman. They they give him a drink. I presume that's the poison or something. Yeah. Um, and the room turns orange because that was his favorite color. And there's the classical music because that was again something else he requested. And then these images come up of sort of natural beauty around the world, right? So it's like the last 20 minutes of peace before you just then go off and die. Becomes solid green. Becomes solid green, yeah. Um, so, so, and, this, and this is why I think, yes, Sol was the B story because this is his end yeah. where Thorne then, he's come in, he's, he said he's just been, uh, realised he can't stay with Cheryl mm. in the tower because her new owner is turning up yep. uh, that evening and he seems very businesslike. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know you can, you can see then that he doesn't seem like he's, he's mean or anything, no. but you get the, you, you're suddenly brought to the uh, realization that her life, it's in a nice tower, but it's kind of a terrible life of servitude. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And Thorne, he also loses his witnesses. He's running all down. And then finally Sol, has learned something and he runs there and he watches Sol die. Yeah. And he, again, he uses his police powers to sort of overpower the dude and they have a touching moment. And this is the part where he learns the inspiration from Sol dies, yeah. but Thorne sees the beautiful images and, and the music. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, geez, like the world is a beautiful place mm. and we, we're not really good for it. No. Yeah. So he has a real moment of clarity for him. He then, as Sol is dying, Sol reveals the secret. And I loved how they did this because the soundscape yes. went fuzzy and he's like, fix it. And it's like, put on the headphones. And he puts the headphones on. We can't hear it as an audience. Yeah. It's a bit of clickbaity. Really, yeah. Isn't it? And, and his reaction is a bit stunned. And then, then we hear Sol sort of saying, you know, you need the truth, you know, follow the truth, like, you know, prove the truth kind of thing. And I think what Sol was doing all along was he was sacrificing himself, wasn't he? Yeah. He, he was like the guinea pig. Like, if he died, he knew Thorn would come and kind of follow him down the path and, and find out if they really do turn bodies into soil and green. And again, we as an audience are still questioning that if we don't get that. So this really is that 
final finale, isn't it now? Yeah, Sorry, he's, that he's, we're... he does his whole detective thing. and says, "Okay, I've yep. got to go in and follow this and do this." Yeah, and we and get this. It's a great sequence of yeah. There's bit no of tension. dialogue. There's lots of yeah raising the stakes, as in he could get caught. Um, you notice that from the lovely funeral home scenario, it oh, becomes much the, more clinical. All the bodies just get yeah, chucked, just get chucked into in the, the garbage. The garbage right? So it becomes very clinical and, and you know, not very pleasant. And then, yeah, all these bodies are chucked in the garbage. Right? Thorn jumps on one, he clambers up one. And then it gets to this really great um, security barrier that's really over... <laughs> It looks like there's too much security, doesn't it? And even the way they, the driver gets out of this security checkpoint and then just walks all the way down to the empty garbage truck and he's going to drive that back to the Yeah, it's like a, like an airlock arrangement. Yeah, so they so won't even let you let the, the driver in. The people who in. collect the trash aren't the ones who see where it gets no, delivered to. No. And the people who do see it getting delivered, uh, they don't look happy. No. And no. they're the ones who are under guard. Yes. Because so, they've got armed soldiers there, guards yes. there. Yeah. But they're not really... Um, intimidating or pushing the the ski mask wearing no tra- trash men. No, they're really guarding the like oh, they're wearing ice cream or yeah. milk delivery driver <laughs> outfits. You know, yeah. like, I don't know why they give me uniform. Just let them wear whatever. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so we have this whole little sequence where Thorne follows the body, and it's a really clever way. It's in this massive factory, moving parts, conveyor belts, all that stuff. Um, he in he surveys the bodies coming down a long conveyor belt one by one. That sort of seems to go deeper into the bowels of the factory. The, he then follows them, runs across the tower. He sees that they drop into this huge water vat thing. He kind of then follows the pipelines, and you know he 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 acted this really well because there is no dialogue, there is no action. It's just him trying to find what the answer is. Um, and then he then he comes across. There's a little bit of suspense of the factory running around the factory, and he comes across suddenly the soil and green biscuits, yeah. like truckloads of them coming down a conveyor belt, you know. And it's like, oh, okay. And so he's you can see he's putting two and two together. Um, and just when that happens, then these two workers suddenly discover him and they attack. First one, he kind of quickly kicks off the ladder. It's the good old fall from a you know height. Ah. <laughs> um, but another one attacks him from behind a machine and they they kind of have a fight. And I love this because he kicked him and he landed on that Soylent Green biscuit conveyor yes. belt. And he's like, we- you know, he's unconscious. He's wheeling off this other character. And, and I think that's kind of that... Um- the, the director saying, do you get it yet? Do you get it? Do, do you get, get it? it? Do, do you get, get it? it? Like, you know, that yeah, dude is yeah. on there. Like it's yeah. a soil and green. Yeah. It, it's yeah. the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah. And so then he, the sirens start ringing and he escapes with back onto a garbage truck and he's he's off. He uses the emergency phone back in the city to ring Sherl. And, and this is like, again, rounding up the storylines that he says to her, look, you stay with the new owner. That's good. The owner wants to keep you. I've got nothing for you, yeah. you know. And uh, he, with that, he's also transferred over to the station, the captain, and he basically just realizes that he's surrounded by these guards uh, closing in on him. So he, he asks the captain for help, and then there's just a good old fashioned, really gun shootout, isn't there, between shootout these four the guys? One of the guys, the last one left, is actually the bodyguard from earlier. Um, and they end up into the crowded church. Well, I love, I love actually. He takes a bullet and yeah, loses right. his gun in the graveyard. Yeah, <laughs> amongst the tombstones. Bit of foreshadowing. Which is, yeah, which is this kind of, 
Yeah, it's it's bringing you back home. The 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 death involved here. Yeah, and I mean, positions the main character as wounded and no weapon, whereas the bad guy has a weapon and is not wounded. Goes into the church. We know it's crowded in there. Lots of people, maybe other dead people, whatever. Um, Thorn is bleeding, so he follows the blood trail, but can't quite find him. And with that, someone hops up, and it's just a woman, and he shoots her dead. And so then Thorn takes the chance to tackle and fight. And there's a nice fight scene where they kind of collapse onto other people's beds and people are screaming and all that sort of stuff. Knocking the bunks over. That's right. And Thorn ends up getting punched over and collapses and there's a weapon on the floor, a knife, and so he kind of puts it underneath him and as the bodyguard pulls him over to shoot him, he just sort of slashes his guts or whatever and um, and, and then hides and the bodyguard shoots a couple and collapses and is dead. Uh, with that, the good old Calvary arrive, the captain and some police, and Thorn is bleeding badly, and this is where we get this great line, sorry. Great. Well, yeah, he says, I actually wrote down, because first of all, he said, uh, the plankton the plankton is dying, don't you see? <laughs> Soil and green is made of people. Yeah. The next thing you know, they're going to be farming us for meat. They're going to be breeding us for meat, I yes. think, yeah. And then the very last line, Soylent Green is people. <laughs> and in closing credits. And and just just before that, he raises his bloodied hand. And yes. you notice that the black comes in and it, it's posed like a photo. So yeah. you know how the, you know, you say the book ends? The start, we had that montage of photos. This is like a classic photo. Now, yeah. this man's bloodied hand, that could be... The turning point where everyone does reveal soil and green is made out of people and maybe society changes. But the film doesn't go down that path. It ends on that note. Yeah, maybe it's going to get worse for society. And the credits roll over top of... Soil and brown. You know where that comes from. <laughs> the brown note. <laughs> they, right. they lead all of the people into the funeral home and they play the brown note. That's too. right, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the wealthy people need the human meat, whereas the wealth unwealthy, they can just eat shit. Come on, there we go. There we go. Anyway, and that's the end. Great movie, great plot lines, really quick. I think it's about 100 minutes, maybe, 90, 95 minutes, the film, sorry. So it's a really bang, spank for me right on them on those plot points. I think it really does tick all of those key plot points that you and I like to talk about. So go check it. Let us know if we missed anything really important. Um, let us know how the film made you feel as well. Please do. Now, being a classic, where do we put this in our sort of classic ladder? Have you got a position? Oh, uh, I do. Where would you recommend someone watch this? What What should they watch around it? I really liked having this with The Fifth Element because mm-hmm. The Fifth Element, likewise, massive overcrowding. It's tough, but it's not as tough. It's just a... um. It's been dealt with, the overcrowding, the overpopulation. Yeah. Like, it's still kind of a bit desperate and, you know, Bruce Willis's character is there and not great conditions. And, yeah. But it's still a thriving, noisy, busy, yeah. if somewhat crowded place. Yeah. And on the other side of that is Predator. Ooh, okay. But it just, just because, you know... It's so different. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've actually got a bit of a similar thing because I think I've got Fifth Element, Soil and Green, and Event Horizon. So it's probably a little bit similar to your three. Definitely, obviously, following Fifth Element, but um, going in then if you watched Event Horizon as your next one. I liked the idea when I put it 
here in between those two films as well, like more thinking of Fifth Element, futuristic, technological, alien sort of society. And then you watch this where it's like the real downtrodden, dystopian. And then watching something like Event Horizon is much more, you know, like, um, uh, you know, again, sort of futuristic space and that horror kind of element. In a way, Soiling Green's got some horror to it because we're eating humans, but then Event Horizon is that real sort of horror, you know? Yeah. So I kind of liked doing that. All three have maybe a bit of a religious philosophy tone in them and to different degrees, you know? Yeah, there's so, a bit of self-sacrifice. Yeah, of- yeah. So, yeah, maybe you'd sort of pick up on a little bit like that. But I think also I was kind of leaning more into how the societies are presented in each one. But let us know what you think about that, that recommendation again where you should maybe watch it. Um, and if you're following along at home, let us know about your ladder. Okay, time for some science. Some and I'm science. hopeful that Surrey is going to finally talk about food. It is some food science. Great. It's not necessarily as yummy <laughs> as you might like it to what? be. What? Tell me what? A, tell me about soil and green. Tell me how to make it. Where do I get the meat from? <laughs> I still, <laughs> I still don't know where it comes from. Sorry, where does it come from? The director just didn't make it obvious enough. So, Soylent <laughs> is something you can genuinely buy. Yeah, okay, awesome. It, Finally. Yes. Uh, not the green variety. It's been described uh, as Soylent Grey, I suppose. <laughs> so, in 2013, this software engineer, so, you know, he's got to be good. Uh, he, he's called Rob Reinhardt. He, uh, Rob he started Reinhardt. a bit of a blog where he was... Sick of, first of all, the high price he's paying for food, mm-hmm. considering he's not particularly interested in food. Right. And he finds he spends a lot of time preparing it and shopping for it. Mm. And he doesn't, re- not necessarily knowing what is good to eat. Yep. And so on. So he went, well, okay, I'm a software engineer. Let's just break this down to an engineering problem. Mm. Uh, so he went and did uh, some research on on various um, you know, US government nutrition sites. Mm. He did a few other, you know, other books about nutrition. And he went, I can just come up with the basic building blocks that humans need to survive. Yeah. And like make like a, a drink type of thing out, like a, a shake. It's kind of a it was kind of a thick it's described as having the consistency of like pancake batter. And right. just consume you know, X number of calories of that each day. And then he could tailor the number of calories he needed to consume and thus the amount of fat and protein and, yeah, okay. and carbohydrate, you know. It's just like yeah, like a meal shake, but nothing so fancy and expensive. Mm. And he says it's quite good in that it it brought his uh, monthly food bill from four hundred and seventy US dollars down to one hundred and fifty five. And it also <laughs> saved him a whole lot of time because he didn't have to go like shopping. Yep. Uh, he didn't have to preparing these foods he could just keep doing his software engineering i would presume he is single this man at this point in time yeah, and yes and I, no I, children <laughs> I, I think he would be staying single with that particular variety of uh food but yes so he he went well let's see and he experimented a bit because yeah. he didn't get the exact ratios right so he sort of mucked about Change so the he got, flavor <laughs> he got the, the well he didn't really do much with fa- flavor okay. as it turns right. out uh only that's a very recent invention of soylent because his idea was just to keep it pure. It would, it had just a bit of um, flavoring in it, like uh, and not fancy flavor. It was like, uh, you know, like I can. Um, I can see olive oil. 
it was a it little was bit of flavor. Soy, lecithin, and something or other, just to give it a palatable mm. taste. His idea was just to have something that was just nutrition that you put in your body and it would keep you going and it was cheap, easy to do, and he said it was great because he could he didn't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. Fantastic. Uh, and so he experimented with the, the formulation of it until he got it at the right consistency of what he wanted. Mm. And he did a fundraising, a crowdfunding, and got $1.5 million of sales. Because yeah. apparently there's quite a few other people out there who are like, yeah, I can't be bothered with cooking. And I, I, can, I can remember as a single software engineer on my own, there were certainly plenty of times where uh, just doing the whole cooking thing and also it's just kind of, why bother? Why, you know, why bother? And I would eat these um, protein bars. I'd come home from the gym uh, and I'd have some you know, big mug of water and then a couple of these sort of protein yeah. vitamin bars because I couldn't be asked doing anything else and they kind of had basically what I needed in them. I'm sure they must have. They looked okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like now it's such a pain in the butt. Yeah, I, there's times I only do it because of children. I mean, it's like, geez, do we have to eat again? Like, well, geez, the number of times my when when my kids go out to Nana's house, mm-hmm. and just my wife and I on a Saturday night, there's a lot of times we have grand ideas of, of cooking something nice. Yeah. And then we end up, you know, we just have um, stuff out of the fridge. <laughs> yeah, like some corn <laughs> chips, uh, a wedge tip. of brie, yeah. uh, an apple. <laughs> and a slice of toast just and you like to keep sharing whatever's left there yeah. we go that's fine uh, can't yeah. be bothered unless I, or we'll go out to dinner which is I suppose we'd say it's date night but really it's just because we can't be bothered <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah anyway so so he did this whole Soylent product and he went oh this has actually got legs and he got a whole bunch of funding you know yeah, millions well, and millions of dollars of funding yep. to create this uh, meal replacement supplement food supplement mm-hmm. whatever you're going to call it mm-hmm which the idea was you just you get a subscription of it yep. and every couple of weeks you just get out you know three meals a day to the you can you can specify the formulation you want yep. and the number of calories that you you're going to have and that's just what you have mm. and you know he called it soylent uh, he says he named it after the Harry Harrison novel called Make Room Make Room but of course he also admitted that he chose the name because everyone knows about Soylent Green and he, it was easy marketing. Mm. People would talk about this Soylent yeah, connects, stuff. connects. Yeah. And, I mean, that, that went on. It, uh, there's problems here and there that people raised about it saying there was um, because it's a meal replacement, it has to, you know, it's a different thing. If, you, if he'd called it a, uh, a flavoring sachet, or a um, you know a, a condiment, mm. nowhere near as strict. But of yeah. course, if you're going to call it a meal replacement, it has to fit. There's a whole bunch of different rules for yeah. it. So it had trouble with Canada and everything, and it got taken off the shelves in Canada for a while because it wasn't properly labelled. Uh, but it's, it's, since 2020, it's back there. Uh, likewise, in America, there's some problem with lead and cadmium quantities in there, which of course. <laughs> Yeah, lead. Which is to say that it's only the normal amount you'd expect to find in the oats and soy and other ingredients. Yeah. Uh, It's not an exaggerated amount of this sort of stuff. It's just what you'd normally get out of crops. It's just that because he's ground it all up and stuck it into one meal replacement, Mm. there's like a rule that says when it's above this level, you have to mention it. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. So, So that was... Soylent is brought along 
But yeah, I, I remember that kind of being, I don't know, you know, on the website headlines. I seem yeah. to remember like, you know, people talk, maybe it was like one of those, you know, news headlines, that, you know, the fluffy piece they put at the end of the news. Yeah. So I feel like I sort of remember them talking about Soylent, you know. So I've got one of the formulations here. You go on to, it used to be called DIY Soylent or Silent Soylent DIY yeah. something, but it's, it's changed now um, to give you a bit of an idea of what, Yep. This soil it was made of. So it's 216 grams. So this is the amount for one day. So one day was 216 grams of oat flour, 2.7 grams of salt, one uh, daily multivitamin pill, 5.1 grams of potassium chloride. There's sucralose, which is, you know, artificial uh, sweetener, canola oil, some sugar, some vanilla, choline bitartrate, xanthan gum, whey protein concentrate, calcium and vitamin D, and vitamin K. Mm. So it's, you know, as, you, as you'd expect, it's just gross. <laughs> I can't imagine what that tastes like, no. considering it's like what, a bit of vanilla, some sugar and some artificial sweetener. I suppose it would be vanilla-y. Well, it kind of is. You were saying those protein bars. I mean, because I'm putting all those ingredients in my head. It, I guess it's kind of like a porridge. Yeah. Cereal. I mean, the dry, like a muesli bar. Like, no, not a muesli bar, like an oat bar. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like, um, oat flour and, and if salt you squish, and stuff. I mean, do you cook it? Do you put it together? What do you do? Yeah, you make a shake of it. You, you oh, mix okay, it with water it, and drink with, it. Okay. They also do sell it in bar form. Which right. is basically that bit compressed. Compressed, yeah. That's what yeah. I imagine. Which, of course, leads to the obvious question I think then, you'd is... need a lot of water if you ate to that. Yeah, there, <laughs> there were complaints of digestive distress. Yeah. And the reason for that, though, as it was pointed out, is that if you're the sort of person who is not that interested in food, not mm. that good on cooking, you're probably eating a very low-fiber diet because mm. you're probably eating packaged, ultra-processed yeah. food. Yeah. And as he points out, um, old Rob Reinhardt here, he points out there's actually quite health, good health benefits for these people going onto Soylent because it's you know it's got all the vitamins and minerals. It's actually not very processed. Like it's yeah. it's oat flour and it's you know it's just ground up stuff mm. pushed together. I mean it, it's not. I'm not going to say that I think it's a an appropriate food. Space Brains does not approve the Soylent product, but <laughs> the people who would this would be marketed to yeah. are then going from an ultra-processed low-fiber, yeah. then they're suddenly hitting this, getting the, the 25 grams a day of fiber they're expected <laughs> to get. Yeah, it's going to mess their guts up a bit because yeah. suddenly their guts are going to have like bacteria going uh, that previously hadn't been fed very much, suddenly getting all the fiber. Yeah. And they're going to get gas. They're going to get, you know, discomfort. But uh, as a lot of people said, that they, once they got through the first week or so, mm. they adjusted... And yeah, they were actually you know okay for it. So I went on and found Britannica.com uh, under the science human nutrition. They've got some recommended daily intake. I'm struggling to find exactly who recommends it, uh, but this was an article written by United States and Australian scientists, and it's from the National Academy of Sciences. So it's kind of let's just say. There is a group of scientists who recommend this as daily intake. And that's looking at um, macronutrients. So that's carbohydrate, fat, and protein. Uh, some people chuck water in there as well, but I, I don't know if that's a nutrient so much. And then you've got vitamins and minerals. 
and there's a, a some of these that we just we need to intake through our diet. Yeah. And and so it's yeah you know it's 130 grams of protein, 38 grams of fiber, 17 grams of omega six. Uh, 1.6 of omega-3 uh-huh. and 56 grams of protein. Mm-hmm. So that's the main thing. And comparing it to Brett, he's got you know he's got 216 grams of oat flour. So that's got to be you know uh, about your 130 grams of carbohydrate, and then 38 grams of fiber, and then there's some fat and protein in oat flour as well. So it's getting it's getting there. This is sugar 47 grams. That's going to be carbohydrate, and he's got. Uh, a third of a cup of canola oil. So that's that's where this sort of comes from. Mm. The other question though, because I'm going through all this and I'm thinking to myself and I have actually thought a lot about food because I used to be considerably overweight and you know went and did myself a certificate for in personal training and worked as a gym instructor and, and bit for a little while. Uh, so nutrition was, was very much on my mind. It still is. But... Um, there's this thing called nutritionism, and what it is is this idea. You've got, roughly speaking, two camps of ideas. One mm-hmm. is that food is a holistic thing. It's like, um, you know, a a loaf of bread is different to a bowl of rice. Yeah. Whereas nutritionism is the idea that you break everything down. You look at the loaf of bread is. You know, 13 grams of protein, 4.5 grams of fiber. And and if you were to take separately each of that amount of protein, fiber, carbohydrate, oil, and just put in a big pile like the Soylent product, it is the equivalent to eating the finished, the the other product. So like eating an orange, you could just break down to the water, sugar, fiber, vitamin C, blah, and have those things separately. And it would be equivalent. Uh, And I know there's there's a lot of people... I'm well, I'm sure I'm hoping a lot of people sort of say it doesn't quite work that way. No, you know, no. there's the, the the way things are bonded, and indeed, many nutritionists and nutrition scientists, food scientists, would sort of say, while a lot of experimentation is done on individual nutrients mm. because you've got to try and maintain and, and modify only one variable in experiments and so forth, yeah. there is still considerable knowledge to be gained yep. or yet to be learned about the complex interactions of not just two you know one type of protein with one type of carbohydrate that you might find in pork yeah compared to the protein and carbohydrate you find in wheat yeah not just that but also then the ratio of mm. protein to carbohydrate so even if you had the exact same wheat starch and wheat proteins yep. separated out and ate them at the same uh, you know, overall quantities, mm. the proportion that they occur within natural products is also significant yep. and it has an interaction on the way that our uh, gut flora break it down, yep. how our enzymes interact with it yeah. to produce the nutrients. And, so, and I think there, what, sorry, what I've seen before, there is that documentary called That Sugar Film by an Australian filmmaker, mm-hmm. which, again, documentary, so not completely scientifically referenced academically, but there's that. And I've also heard uh, good old Dr. Carl talk about this previously. You said the orange, right? Mm-hmm. And I straight away thought of hearing it in both the film and Dr. Carl separately was the thing is what you miss, you're right, you could take the all the ingredients of an orange and lay it out in the sugar and the you know the water and the whatever right, and eat it 
But the thing with the when you eat the orange, there's a few th other things that actually go on. A, when you're chewing an orange and how your enzymes in your mouth break that orange down and the time it takes and the energy that it actually does. It, it, you, the fact that you have to chew an orange for an X amount of time or an apple or whatever goes down and there's a couple of things that happen there that the transfer then into your gut of the vitamins and that versus, and they were just talking about in this example, juicing the orange. Yeah. If you just take the orange and you just juice the crap out of that one orange, you just whoop, drink it. You're actually then the way your bowel or your stomach digests it is very different. The sugar it extracts, the speed it extracts that, the sugar that rinses over your mouth is extremely different to to what hits your belly. And what normally happens then is you you don't also don't get the signal versus if you eat the orange that you're full now. Yeah. That you've eaten a whole big orange. Because you've juiced it, you've taken away the textures, and you drink it in 10 seconds, a glass, which is an, one whole orange versus eating orange takes you three or four minutes. And it's a signal to your brain. And therefore, what people will do is they'll go, oh, I'll juice three or four oranges. And now they're drinking the equivalent of, you know, their daily intake of sugar. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so, so I think that's a big component there, isn't it? Like you could break down the vitamins and the nutrients into tablets but then you're not actually chewing them and there's a process there and you're not digesting them in your stomach the same way and there's a process there. Yeah. And again, I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor, but that to me makes sort of a lot of sense. It, it does. And it's one of the problems that people have had with Soylent. Uh, they're obviously people who very much enjoy it. As I said, the, there are people who are genuinely apathetic towards yeah. food. Like yeah, they just need something that will stop them from feeling hungry and mm. will provide... Let them know they've had the nutrients they require. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but the problem is that it doesn't give you that satisfaction because you drink it. And I've had meal replacement shakes before. Mm -hmm. And it'll say 400 calories and you drink it. And you go, well, I could probably drink three or four of those. <laughs> that's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. But if someone gave me a 400 calorie you know, salad sandwich, yeah. I would struggle to eat three or four of those. Yeah, you know? yeah. But uh, the, the effect that nutritionism has... Is it's kind of a a misrepresentation of the science, or a mis yeah sort of misguidance or a misapplication, if you will, mm -hmm. because you know if we can think that this is doesn't sound right, you can bet that the people who've spent their life studying yeah, food right. <laughs> they already know this. They're right? shaking their heads. Yes, yeah. So nutritionism, however, it leads into marketing mm -hmm. and and easy messages because it's very hard to tell people like. Uh, it's well, rather it's very easy, but nobody ever freaking listens. We all know what we have to do to eat well. Yeah, we need course. to eat mostly fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. uh, some, you know, protein source, yeah. which doesn't have to be from animals, no. but we're going to need some sort of protein source, and we're going to need some sort of um, fiber and and oh, what else was I? Thinking? We're gonna we're gonna no, need some carbohydrates, yeah, you know. Some proportion of those, you yeah. can usually probably leave it up. If you're eating relatively unprocessed foods, mm. and I know you always get someone who goes, oh, well, actually, the process of chewing a food is processing the food. Like We all know <laughs> what we're talking about when we're talking about processing foods, yeah. right? You're not grinding it down, dismembering it, yeah. reintroducing additional salts and, and other you know, texture modifiers and so forth. But we all know that that's what we should do. We shouldn't be drinking soft drinks yeah. and you know lots of alcohol, and we shouldn't be... Do it, all of these things, we all know that. 
but it's really hard to sell that to people. Of course. Because you could ask the least healthy, uh, most prone to dying of nutrition-related problems, all of this stuff, and they say, yes, I already know all that. Mm. And, of course, you'd look at them sitting there as they're getting their you know, second kidney transplant and all that, and they go, what? <laughs> You're like, okay. But you know what nutritionism is really easy to do is to say, ah, this one thing is the, you know, this crazy yeah. one thing is the secret to why you're dying. And one of the problems that we have in our nutrition education at the moment is that back in the 50s, there's a fellow called Ansel Keys who was uh, given a whole lot of money to come up with some studies on diets, mm-hmm. uh, in particular people worried about coronary um, heart disease, so stroke and heart attacks. Yeah. So he spent a whole bunch of time and money uh, looking at 22 nations, 22 countries or, and, and pe- different peoples and their diets and mm-hmm. how they, they perform. He chose seven of them. So it's called the seven nation, um, no, it's a seven country <laughs> study. Yeah. And when you map out the relationship, you know, standardized um, relationship between uh, saturated fat intake and cardiovascular disease there was a dose relational proportion yeah mm-hmm. proportional relationship yep. so the more ca- cholesterol uh, more, the more saturated fat you ate the more likely you were to die of yeah. cardiovascular disease yep. and thus came about through particularly then out of the 70s and the 80s the low fat mm. diet fad where Everything was going from butter to margarine. It was all lean. You can still go and buy low-fat skim milk. Yeah. Like, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you're worried about the amount of fat you're getting in a, the milk you're consuming, you're consuming too much milk. <laughs> That's just like it's yeah. a normal whole milk is four percent fat. Yeah. How many liters per day are you drinking of milk? That's too much. Yeah. But it's market. Like, unless you're a baby cow. Yeah. You shouldn't be drinking like 12 liters of milk a day. No, no. Uh, if you have like a, a glass of milk, like on your cereal or a bit of milk in your coffee, the 4% or 0.1%, it Nothing makes either. zero difference, mm. not compared to the whatever garbagey thing you're putting in your mouth later on in the day. And which we, we are all now do. proudly sponsored by beef milk. Yeah, beef milk. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so, so the Ansel Keys, he had this study and it really brought about this brought this nutritionism to, to, for, uh, to, to the front where it's like mm. fat, saturated fat, fat, fat is, is the bad thing. Yeah. And I'm sure the heart was in the right place. Mm. We were trying to help people here. He ignored the fact that France ate more saturated fat but died of less heart disease. We won't worry about that. We won't worry about the fact that you know Japan actually, it's not so much they don't eat a lot of saturated fat, they actually eat a lot of fish, for example, and very little sugar. Uh, so nutritionism would bring about this demonization of individual things. And we're still doing it today. Yeah. You know, and soylent green, soylent yellow, soylent red were each, soylent green was high protein and it was just derived from something else. It's the soylent red was the, was the soylent yellow for fast acting energy. Yeah. So presumably that was just like real sugar starch. Sugar, yeah, yeah. And then soylent red didn't seem to be very popular. No. So it's probably just a lump of fat or something. <laughs> or maybe it just wasn't very... Maybe it was just fiber. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah probably that's, was starch. that's where I was, I was looking at this is going, yeah, from the 70s, this was this was a really strong trend. It's mm. come back around now and people are going, you know what? 
we really probably should have more balanced diets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But certainly through the 70s, there was that trend to, okay, saturated fat out. And every company jumped on board and yeah, said, yeah. let's pull saturated fat out of everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I, fa- I found 35% less fat butter. Mm. It, what? Ha- butter is fat. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. What the hell? Also, just eat less butter. Yeah. Like, if you're worried about the fat, just eat less of it. You don't have to eat that much butter, for goodness sake. There was that horror. And we, you and I, well, I grew up in the 80s and it was that war on fat. And, oh, and, geez, and I mean, you think about that side effect of that, which is such a shame because when I, when my wife and I did it all for our eldest, uh, we looked into all the different foods and fats can be a really good thing for a brain. That's oh, the thing. Yeah. Like you fat is good for your brain. Your brain is made. You're out exactly of fat. right. You shouldn't drink 12 liters of milk. Yeah, four percent fat. That's a lot. That's a lot of fat. But if you're drinking a glass of milk, four percent fat's nothing. You know, yeah. and in fact, it's far better than what they substitute into then some of the skim milk. So in terms of some of the processing, so it's like you know, you're better just to go the full cream, full fat. Enjoy it. Enjoy yeah, the fat. Just if you're having one glass of it, just enjoy it. Exactly. <laughs> don't eat the whole cake. You yeah. don't need it. No, it's fine. Don't eat all the soil and green. No, just a, just a little. Save some for your friends. Yeah. Or save some of your friends. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there we go. That's that's a bit of bit of food science. Mm. A bit of soylent. I thought that soylent was interesting. Tasty. I'm getting hungry now. I got a oh, lasagna no. out there. It's We've got to try some soil and green at some point. Soil and green space brain cookies, something like that. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll see if we can organise that for the um, the this film festival. Maybe That's the right. after party or something. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the classic soil and green. Go check it out. Let us know what you thought about it. Hit us up on the socials and and let you know what we discussed in this latest episode. Uh, please think about reviewing us where you listen to uh, podcasts, wherever that might be, Apple, Spotify, etc. Um, check out the Space Brains website. We also have the Space Brains Film Festival website. Check that out. We are available on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. So communicate to us we've been getting some interesting responses lately especially to battle beyond the stars or some some people reached out about their their love of that film and watching it as you know kids in the cinema and 80s and and coming back to it and there was one guy out there that mentioned talk he imported blue uh, blu-ray dvds 15 years ago or something from the US and that was one of them that he imported because <laughs> he couldn't get it here in Australia. Um, so, yeah, let us know what you think about Soil and Green. Do you uh, think it really is, people? You, is it? What? Is it? <laughs> um, but he lands, the guy, the guard lands on the conveyor belt. He hasn't been cooked. How can it? <laughs> Next episode is I Am Legend. Absolutely. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but this film takes you on an adventure, tearjerker, and at the same time, terrifying. It's pretty good. I'm going to show my kids this one. (laughs) Ooh. Yeah, I know. Okay, we'll get onto it and we'll discuss it on the next episode of Space Brain. See ya. Bye. (laughs) 